you know, covering a conflict, you know these things are going to happen, but still it does create a sting or pain for those of us who work in the profession. In my case, worked, past tense, no longer active in this. But hearing of uh, the demise of Brent Bernard, I don't know him. I have seen some of his work online and heard him report of that part of Ukraine. So, you know, it is sad to hear. Uh, he was a, apparently, from what we can tell, a very uh, hardworking uh, journalist. Uh, Brent Renard uh, was killed, apparently, while at a checkpoint, according to uh, reports from the ground there in, uh, in Ukraine. Um, that is what uh, people who are there are, are saying. Um... Essentially, we, we saw and heard some of this information online, uh, first of all, popping up on our uh, feeds. Um, and uh, the area was called the town of Irpin in Ukraine. And uh, it, is, it is an area where there was apparently some kind of checkpoint. And uh, according to... Uh, uh, Trey Yinkst, who's a Fox News foreign correspondent, talking to Fox and Friends about a little while ago. Uh, this is the information they had at that time. Let's just drop into them and listen. We've been in this area. It's difficult to know which streets are safe and which streets are not safe. Mm. And so... When we report a checkpoint, we do not know if that was a Ukrainian checkpoint or a Russian checkpoint. We're gathering the information at this time. Early reports indicate they were shot by Russian forces, but I cannot independently confirm who shot these journalists. Um, it is important to note also in a city like Europeans, the front lines are changing all the time. So any given day, you could go down a street, and the next day you go to that same street, and it's controlled by Russian Absolutely. forces. And we found that even when we were there, you would go down one street and Sometimes Ukrainian soldiers or even civilians would start flagging you down and tell you to turn around because the Russians were that close. And oh. while we were in this town of Erpine on Friday, there were Russian shells landing all around the neighborhood. We brought this story to Fox, but we interviewed a, a man who was blind, and he was stuck in this town. Mm. And as we were at his house speaking with him, there, these Russian shells were falling in that neighborhood. So it gives you a sense of just how close these front lines are. And as a journalist, when you approach a checkpoint, you have to always just be prepared, not knowing what, what could take place. But such a tragic story that we are learning today. One American Absolutely. journalist killed. And uh, again, we cannot independently confirm where the shots were fired from. Trey, uh, we were all measured in moments like this to make sure to not get ahead of information. First reports can often be wrong. but uh, And you've been measured in, in this as well. But we're now getting confirmation on our end from the New York Times uh, that it was a New York Times reporter uh, who was killed on the ground. And they put out a statement just moments ago on behalf of him, it's New York Times saying, we are deeply saddened to hear of Brent Renaud's death. Brent was a talented filmmaker who had contributed to the New York Times over the years. Though he had contributed to the Times in the past, most recently in 2015, he was not on assignment for any desk at the Times in Ukraine. Early reports that he worked for the Times circulated because he was wearing a Times press badge that had been issued for an assignment many years ago. So, Trey, um, the New York Times confirming the name of the journalist who had at times worked with the New York Times, but 
appears to have been working in, in some other independent form now. You know, covering a conflict, you know these things are going to happen, but still it does create a sting or pain for those of us who work in the profession. In my case, worked, past tense, no longer active in this. But hearing of uh, the demise of Brent Grenard, I don't know him. I have seen some of his work online and heard him report of that part of Ukraine. So, you know, it is sad to hear uh, he was a, apparently, from what we can tell, a very uh, hardworking uh, journalist. Uh, Brent Renard uh, was killed, apparently, while at a checkpoint, according to uh, reports from the ground there in, uh, in Ukraine. Um, that is what uh, people who are there are, are saying. Um... Essentially, we, we saw and heard some of this information online, uh, first of all, popping up on our uh, feeds. Um, and uh, the area was called the town of Irpin in Ukraine. And uh, it, is, it is an area where there was apparently some kind of checkpoint. And uh, according to... Uh, uh, Trey Yingst, who's a Fox News foreign correspondent, talking to Fox and Friends about a little while ago. Uh, this is the information they had at that time. Let's just drop into them and listen. Yes, it is. So we're seeing the Russian military extend their campaign into the very west of Ukraine, really to do two things. One is to restrict the ability of the Ukrainian Air Force to operate freely, and the other is to try to intercept the flow of reinforcements and weapons from the West into eastern Ukraine. And of course, the impact of that is, uh, you know, this, this is a base where uh, the Ukraine was, was doing most recently uh, activities like uh, training and, uh, you know, uh, working with NATO personnel. This is where supplies from NATO countries, uh, you know, anti-tank weapons, uh, drones, uh, UCABs, these types of things are, are flown in. NATO has specifically said that none of their personnel were on the base at the time, and uh, it should be clear that that the incident involving the uh, uh, New York Times journalist was not the incident that occurred here. So, uh, you know, um, this is not uh, to be connected with the earlier incident, but uh, it is something that, that is of note that uh, these attacks took place. Another thing that also took place at around the same time in Erbil in uh, Kurdistan, uh, in the northern section of Iraq, was hit by uh, a missile attack uh, at a U.S. military facility there in Erbil, was hit by a missile attack in, in the Kurdish region. And uh, this missile attack coming from the Iranians uh, is coming on a day that missile attacks and rockets were also being used to hit uh, this training facility that is largely used by NATO. And, and particularly the Florida National Guard was the last NATO unit that was that was just in there. That's absolutely right. So I, I, I imagine the Ukrainian authorities are, are being very clear about this and will be moving the refugees who are heading west towards the European Union 
down one set of roads and doing everything they can to keep the movement of their military resupplies on other routes. Ukraine has the virtue of being a very big place. Yes, and absolutely. There are other nations, as you say, that could send humanitarian aid in and refugees could leave the country. So tell us about this facility, a huge facility, which has used, been, been used by foreign instructors for years. Yes, it's the International Peacekeeping and Security Centre. It's 150 square miles, so a very <laughs> big facility. And before the war started, it was used by a number of countries to send instructors to train the Ukrainian military. Those instructors left before the war started. So, you know, as you look at the situation and, and what is happening, we are looking also at that situation that happened in Erbil and uh, what exactly is happening in Iraq. The escalation by Iran at a time when the United States is trying to negotiate a new non-nuclear or, or and Iran's nuclear proliferation ambitions, uh, you know, and then have this incident happen uh, on a former NATO-used facility in Ukraine uh, seems to say a lot because the timing of the two instances are very, very similar. We're going to keep an eye on this and talk about it as we can. Again, the first American journalist, uh, unfortunately, uh, killed in this conflict, um, as uh, we have heard uh, earlier. And, uh, you know, that, that incident, of course, uh, being, uh, being reported extensively by, by news organizations uh, here in the United States and uh, also uh, in, in that part of the world, and also by uh, what, what is going on. Let's listen again to Trey Yinkst, uh, who is there on the ground in Ukraine and uh, was in Irpin, the area where this attack took place recently. Uh, Trey is uh, a Fox News correspondent and he was on Fox and Friends earlier today. To the cackling Luisa. Okay. Really great update on that, Pete. Um, now we're going to go to Trey Yinkst because he's joining us on the phone right now. Thank you for that update this morning. Can I, can I ask one more question? Of course. Um, he was taken out by Ukrainian forces after notified, um, but now that a public statement is issued, I can independently confirm that is the journalist. Um, he is a filmmaker, a very decorated filmmaker, and according to a source that we have on the ground in Irpin, um, he was taken out by Ukrainian forces after this happened. Uh, again, we don't know exactly where within He was Irpin, evacuated by um, Ukrainian forces, you're saying? Correct. He was taken out, but evacuated, yes. Uh, taken out of the area by uh, Ukrainian forces, um, evacuated by those soldiers who were able to get him uh, and his colleagues out of this area. Wow. And Trey Yanks, thank you for that update this morning. Can I, can I ask one more question? Of just course. Because I'm sincerely curious, and you kind of asked it. Uh, Trey, when the nature of the fighting on the front lines, and you did talk about it, but because this is a reporter, and we don't, you know, reporters are not, you, you, Based on your experience, uh, how much different is your calculation of risk than you've talked about risk assessments? I mean, you can't really count on anybody being there. I mean, maybe some personal security. And you said some journalists don't have any security at all. So if you're in a vehicle approaching a checkpoint, you're counting on the forces there, be that Russian or Ukrainian, to be able to decipher whether this is a civilian vehicle, a military vehicle, 
or a press vehicle, I, I can't imagine balancing that kind of ambiguity. I could be quite difficult. And, you know, we are experienced in these areas of conflict and you always try to stay calm and try to communicate as much as you can, even if you're not directly speaking the language. We travel with a fixer translator and also a security member in each one of our vehicles. But the reality is people are being killed around us in these areas. So people who are at checkpoints, soldiers are quite on edge. And anything that moves often can be a target. We experienced that today, even on the front lines in the east. Speaking with these soldiers, you have to approach very slowly wherever you go. And in a place like Arakeen, where this tragedy took place today, it is very messy. And as we talked about, street to street, things can change. And there are a lot of brave journalists out on the front lines. They don't want to become the story. They want to capture the story and, and shine light in this very dark area. But it can be extremely difficult to make that calculation. And it's part of why we rely on our security teams with us for gathering as much information as they can throughout the day while we are focused on reporting. And then in the morning, they can brief us. We actually had planned to go to this area today. And our security team checked in, and we ultimately made a decision to go to a different area. But each and every day, every person who is out here covering this story will make a calculation, and they will make a decision and then head to that location to report the news. So, you know, that is a situation that, that journalists have to live with uh, who work on the front lines. Again, that was uh, Trey Yanks talking on uh, Fox & Friends this morning about uh, what happened with this uh, American journalist who was killed and also his interaction and experiences there on the ground in Ukraine. We'll be back with more as events warrant here on this podcast of mine. And uh, trying to keep it lively and trying to talk about things and uh, also... Kind of remembering, you know, what it what it's like to go into conflict zones and in, in times like this, and um, how it is indeed always a risk. Friday, Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby had a press briefing uh, wherein he discussed uh, things, kind of in alignment with the topic that we brought up, and and this is particularly on the uh, new attack on rockets on this uh, military zone or peacekeeping training center in the uh, western part of uh, Ukraine that almost in the border with uh, Slovenia. And, uh, uh, you know, how this, of course, is something that is uh, of interest because, uh, as we have heard, the uh, U.S. Defense Secretary John Austin is, is headed to the, uh, the country of Slovenia uh, next week. And uh, we'll, we'll be there to assure allies of uh, U.S. support uh, in the event of uh, things going sour. Unfortunately, even before that happens, 12 miles away from their border, uh, you know, with Poland and Slovenia, uh, this, this general area came under Russian attack, very, very close to the border within Ukraine, not within NATO areas, but very, very close to those NATO areas. Let's listen now as... Uh, we bring you that portion of this topic. Uh, this is, of course, from the uh, Defense Media Press Services audio of uh, John Kirby, who is the uh, Defense Press Secretary uh, and has his press conference. Taking questions here uh, from uh, John, I forget John's last name, but anyway, uh, and, 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 and asking about specifically uh, movement towards the West and uh, new new attacks uh, by 
reinforcements of uh, uh, Russians uh, from that direction and how it affects uh, the situation. People of Kiev will tell you they're under assault right now. Um, uh, there's uh, Russian bombardment and shelling going on quite violently as we speak. Uh, and we do assess that the Russians are uh, beginning to make more momentum on the ground towards Kiev, particularly from the east, uh, not quite so much from the, the north. I don't want to make too much of the fact that there's satellite imagery talking about this this convoy, you know, moving off into tree lines or dispersing. That could just be force protection because the Ukrainians have uh, continued to threaten that convoy and its progress. Essentially, Bob, we don't see any progress by it uh, to uh, to resupply and support uh, operations to the south. But, uh, but I, again, I, I, I'd be careful making too much about this dispersal stuff. Um, I don't think that I feel like I missed one. Did I get yeah, the, uh, the West, the attacks on the West? Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, difficult to know with great certainty what the Russians are doing here. Our assessment is that they struck a couple of airfields uh, in the West. Um, it's not like there hasn't been any airstrikes in Western Ukraine since the beginning of this operation 16 days ago. It's just that we haven't seen that as a routine matter. So now you got two in one day. That's notable. What it means, what it portends, where the Russians are going with this, we don't really know. Um, uh, we believe the targets were airfields. So from a military perspective, you can see a certain logical sense there to, to deny the Ukrainians the ability to use some, some airstrips in the west part of the country. But by and large, and to the vast majority of the combat power that they are exercising in Ukraine, it is on, it's in the east. It's everything east of Kiev. That's where the violence is. Uh, is the worst. That's where they're uh, uh, putting a lot of their energy and resources in. Those are the population centers that they're going after, Kharkiv, Cherniv, Kiev, uh, Mariupol, Mykolaiv, um, uh, uh, down to the south, um, and they're still fighting in the Donbass. So it's really to, more, more to the east. So is that marginal change, or is that a reflective widening of their efforts? Uh, again, I think it's too soon to know. I mean, we're talking about two strikes on two fields, um, uh, and it's not like we haven't seen any in, in the past there. So I think it's just too soon to be able to, to divine some sort of larger purpose here or some strategy. Um, again, the vast, vast majority of their combat power is being spent in the East. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking to Jennifer Griffin now. What kind of weapon was used to fire at those airfields? Was it a missile that came in from Belarus? So what, what do you assess? Yeah, we don't really have point of origin here, don't have types of munitions. The Russians themselves admitted that they used uh, long-range precision-guided uh, weapons. Certainly, we would, uh, uh, we would agree with the long-range aspect of this, since they don't have force structure in Ukraine that is really concentrated in the West. All of their ground power is in the east, so I don't think we'd push back on the notion that's long range. But what kind of missile, what kind of munition, you know, uh, what the what the warhead was, we don't have that level of detail. Your assessment that those fields were targeted because there's been so much talk of these MiG 29s, and they would have been airfields that the MiGs would have flown from. We don't know. And what will the U.S. do if Russia uses a chemical weapon in Ukraine? Well, I don't want to get into speculating. Um, I think you heard the president very clearly today say uh, that there would be severe consequences for Russia um, uh, should that happen. And I don't think it'd be helpful for me to go beyond that right now. From the so that is basically what uh, John Kirby is saying, you know, uh, on, on the issue of 
chemical biological weapons. Obviously, this is a very sensitive topic uh, with with uh, the United States. Uh, remember, this was brought up against uh, Russia during their uh, uh, activities in Syria. Uh, when um, some chemical and biological weapons were used by the Assad regime that was supposedly linked back to the Russians immediately, uh, you know, th thereafter, uh, when, when something like that happened under the Trump administration, there were immediate airstrikes against the Syrian government uh, as, to, to penalize them for that. Under the Obama administration, they did eventually carry out similar strikes, but they were much more measured. Uh, under Trump, it was much more widespread. How things are being handled differently by both administrations uh, are, are of that time. This is another time and another era, and there is a lot more concern here because there seems to be so much more at stake and so much more in terms of penalties and sanctions that are being used against Russia at this time that it could uh, severely go out of hand if indeed uh, it continues to go out of hand. So that's the first trunch that we're coming up with on our podcast this morning on the situation in Ukraine. Uh, again, uh, tragic morning for some, uh, of course, those who have lost loved ones at this time, we express our condolences for. Um, it is sad to hear that the first American journalist on the ground there was uh, killed today, uh, having been in that kind of a situation with uh, friends and family and, and having had people deployed you know, that I was responsible for in areas of conflict. Uh, it is something that is uh, very difficult to deal with. Uh, he was a freelancer at the time, and uh, you know we, we pray for him and his family, and I hope all would be well with them eventually, as uh, this situation in Ukraine continues to grow by leaps and bounds into something that the world has not seen in a long time in Europe, and hopefully soon cooler heads will prevail, and somehow this situation can be brought down by negotiations and end to this violence that is just spiraling continuously uh, into a much wider sense. I'm Mike of New York, Mike K. Cohen, talking to you from New York City on a Sunday.